Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about mass combat. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks what we do on this podcast? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's pretty simple. I have found so many different ways to try and, like, change that line. But I really haven't gotten all that all that far <laughs> with it. I wonder, I wonder what the listeners... Uh, uh, I wonder what the listeners think. Yes, today we're talking about mass combat and Pathfinder. Um, because uh, of reasons that i guess we'll talk about when we get to it but first we played uh some some uh dnd games this week we played rune lords on monday and yeah. hell's rebels i'm trying yes. to remember what happened in rune lords i always have a hard time remembering what happens each week on, on rune lords uh so um, rune lords was oh the combat, big, right, the big right. old fight the big old fight with arave's mom, mom. Apparently. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, yeah, I actually kind of feel bad. I kind of feel like we almost kind of got Mark to... to he is This This is almost like the anti-Magnamar, right? Like, we got Mark to, like, streamline uh, the, uh, uh, the, Margrave. the Margrave too much a little bit. Has has the has Arafay's mom been, like, teased or talked about or anything like that? I was just kind of like, when we went into that comment, I was like, oh, wow. Jeez, uh, okay, like, kind of, it kind of caught me off guard. Uh, so, so part of it too is 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 not that it's it's Jimmy's fault, but like, he didn't reveal to us that he was a changeling, right? Oh, like, that's also true. Yeah, but like, none of this can really be like, what's what? Like, we'd have to have like several like non non resolving encounters with her that kind of like I guess or something. But like, there was like no, there there was. Not a real way to engage with that storyline. Part and part of it's hard because we all know that. Arave, like I feel like that would have had more impact if like none of us as people knew that Arave was a changeling. Mm. It's always just kind of been this like you know thing that that the players know but the characters don't. Yeah, yeah. I also I you know I also kind of empathize with Jimmy to a certain extent. I think it's rough to do this in general, uh, where you kind of have like the. I'm playing a PC and I'm keeping a secret from the rest of the party thing because in in theory that sounds cool but in practice it always there's never really a good time to like reveal it you know what I mean like you want you want to create drama um, and you want to create uh, you know like interesting story bits with it but it's also like well when does it make sense for Arave to just be like oh well you know like I'm actually a changeling kind of thing and figuring out a good point to do that and stuff yeah it, um, it also so. needs a, like like a point to kind of actualize around right like you can I think do like I'm actually the main antagonist son type of thing relatively well because that's not a thing that like really manifests itself in, in many other ways yeah um and like you could that, that kind of reveal could happen without even like the character knowing right like you could just happen to be the like it's like the point for this would have been that he was this hag's daughter, or she was. I raise a, a, a woman. Uh, he, she was this hag's daughter, but that hag would have had to have a lot more moral or like a lot more weight to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that. I actually kind of feel like we dodged a bullet uh, when it comes to Hell's Rebels because a lot of these kinds of secrets got outed very quickly. Um, yeah, you know, it's not like we're play. You know, it's not like we're playing games with like Beauregard's identities, or um, you know, now that Mark is in the game, right? Or uh, that you know that kind of stuff. Everybody's kind of on board uh, with everybody else, and so uh, 
I feel like that's a problem that's not that's not there. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, when you when you mentioned it, it's a hard thing to do. It's like no one was ever going to be fooled that Altanis and Beauregard were different people when I'm voicing both of them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, uh, I gotta I gotta go do something. You know, Here's like the one friend. true mango logs out of Mumble. You know, the one false mango logs in <laughs> and starts talking. Right. Like, Hello, I'm Buddy's friend, <laughs> Rupert. <laughs> Yeah, you really couldn't make that one work. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I've been, it's you know, it's one of those things, I, uh, I've i been enjoying these Margrave sessions. I think the combats themselves are pretty neat, even though I didn't really do anything this combat. Um, because, I might be wrong about this, but I my read on the situation that last combat, because I got, you know, hexed so quickly, was that I just should not attack. I should just sit there in total defense every round and just tank and be disruptive and be a nuisance so that, you know, people, you know, I stand still people and I AOO them kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, or rather I pin cushion them. And, um, and that worked out, uh, that worked out pretty well, even though I didn't really get to like, you know, hit people with my, my elite DPS. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel that. I'm, I feel like I'm kind of like, I've got the dumb things that I can do when I want to, when, when like, you know, I've got the action economy to be silly, and then I've got the things that I need to do as kind of like the nine-level divine caster in the party. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I've, I'm, I'm happy in kind of that dual role. Like, I'm anti-AOE damage in a way, but then I've got the opportunity to do, like, like some of the arenas, um, like, like th- this arena in particular was a very plain, like, open space that i couldn't mm-hmm. do a lot with right like like the, the stone castle i think I, I had a lot of fun with it's kind of knocking over walls and stuff yes yeah, um, shape and stuff like that i i wonder if i've kind of forced mark to have more of these kind of plain arenas because i have shown a willingness to just kind of fuck with the uh like fuck with the environment if i'm given the chance and those lead, lead to like neat kind of mechanics but they also kind of are the type of thing that can be frustrating for a dm like Every time I can solve an encounter by by being extraordinarily clever with like stone bending or wood bending, um, uh, or wood shaping and stone shaping rather, um, that's a thing that Mark planned on doing that doesn't happen, um, and so that's kind of like a like a, a harder thing to deal with. I think I definitely I definitely feel that. I think it's one of those things where it's like you know. You know, uh, I think I've told this story on this podcast before, but there's, like, this story of when I was playing a Star Wars game where uh, the basically the big bad shows up in an elevator and one of our players who's a, uh, who is a Jedi used his lightsaber to cut the elevator cables. Uh, and so the elevator plummets, you know, they're on Coruscant several, several miles and it kills the big bad kind of thing. And that makes for, like, it's one of those things where that makes for great moments, right? Like, that's a cool moment. It's a really relatable D&D story. It's super kind of cool to talk about. Even though we did kind of circumvent, right, like, the boss encounter and everything, that sucks. But it also created a cool moment. The problem is, is that, like, if we could solve every encounter by cutting uh, the metaphorical... Elevator, uh, elevator cables, cables. Yeah. then all of that you know as as a one-off right i think it i think it, it it works right and in like you know clever and interesting ways to kind of solve these problems i think it's i think it's super solid but um you kind of run the risk to a certain extent when uh when you have that mindset almost to be anti-climaxing rather than 
clever, almost. Yeah. To be fair, I don't actually think that's really happened all that much in Rune Lords. Sure. I'm well, pretty, I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident that most uses of stone shape and wood shape and what have you have been, uh, have been kind of, like, interesting ones. But I definitely see the danger. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think it's, like, it's one of those things where, like, you know, my character is kind of good at that because of the whole wood theming. Um, and just, like, that's the type of spells that I want to take because they're fun. Um, and, like, like you said, like, it's not so bad when they're used against a smaller group. Like, you know, you take out a piece of the encounter with a clever move, and that's, like, a kind of run-of-the-mill thing, and that's not too bad. And then you get to a point where, like, you can solve the problem relatively, like, you know, like, you get to that one-off moment where, like, you know, oh, you see this application of the power that could work. And I think you put the DM in a hard position where it's, like, well... It's kind of tired because that's the thing that he does usually anyway. It's not like a special moment. It's Yeah, it's, you, yeah you, definitely. But it is the opportunity for that to shine through, and the player is going to be generally frustrated if you take that away from uh, away from them type of deal. I also think it really you know begs a lot of questions when it comes to kind of like level design. Um, I've been designing things uh, for the you know like the mega dungeon or whatever. Not designing things. Well, a little bit of designing things, but I mean like uh, you know like inputting stuff and doing the map and all that kind of stuff. And that you know that map is really built uh, in such a way that you do you know you progress from room to room and it scales up. And it's one of those things where like obviously you're a level four party. You know, you're not going to be stone shaping down any walls. But if that were the case, you could actually kind of really fuck with the flow of the dungeon and skip. You know what I mean? Like you skip stuff or you meet stuff in kind of a weird order um, and uh, not being able to kind of like plan for that uh, kind of ruins the ability to like make those like do that level design almost. Um, Yeah, dungeon crawls are particularly weird too like like i think straight dungeon crawls tend to work out well like when you when you go down into a dungeon because there's not a lot of like scouting mm-hmm. right like like when the dungeon crawls a castle i think it can get weird because you know somebody might want to be like oh we can just like scale the wall of the castle right and that's like a very legitimate use of whatever but when you're going into an actual dungeon that's beneath the ground where you like stone shipping through the wall doesn't guarantee that you'll one make better progress than you would have just by you know iterating and two, in extreme cases, you know, there might not even be, like, a room in the direction that you're attempting to tunnel in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's the, definitely true. Those yeah. types of things only kind of really work. Like, the only times I've seen those kinds of things make a difference is, um, is like, afterwards, after the fact, almost, right? Like, like when you've already explored the dungeon and for whatever reason you're doing it on your way out, like in the, uh, in the hive in uh, Iron Gods, where we – where uh, I would like you know where uh, yeah Atticus yeah I, uh, yeah, the walls. yeah I remember that yeah um um so I think it works well I think that problem solves those for an actual dungeon but then like <coughs> excuse me like anytime you're pulling off any sort of like assault on a keep or um you know I, I remember in in uh, Nick's uh, Kingmaker campaign back when we were in in, in college. We had to, like, steal some jewels from a castle or something. Or we had to get some MacGuffin from a castle. Mm-hmm. And he had expected us to kind of Mission Impossible it and go into the basement. But no, me and uh, and uh, and Linda did a uh, – did we, we infiltrated the party as, like, as like courtiers and, like, did, did, like, the social interaction room. And that, that's always something that's kind of, like, 
can you can you work well enough on the fly? And in that case, Nick, Nick, Nick handled it very well. But like those types of things, both keep you on your toes and can be hard hard to to plan for. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, yeah I definitely agree. I like dungeon crawls. Um, my big problem with dungeon crawls, I think, is resting. Uh, this this will come into play. Well, so um, this will come into play tomorrow, right? Because there's a time limit. But I don't like when you can move through the dungeon and just kind of rest willy-nilly. Um, I think that really kills, uh, you know, I'm a bit, you know, I talk about this a lot, right? Like, really kills stakes for me, right? It kills kind of the tension. Uh, because if there isn't a time, you know, like, if there isn't a timer, if there isn't a time limit, if there isn't a, like, ur- urgent pressing need almost to get this stuff done, it really can feel like a grind, Whereas, yeah. uh, I, you know, like, I think it should be, you know, a race against time. It should be a kind of like, oh, we, you know, we have to do this in one night because, you know, this is the setup for tomorrow. We have to do this in one night because if we don't, they're just going to reinforce with and, and, and kill us, right? Like, we're not strong enough to take on, you know, what's-his-face's strongest guys, so we have to use the element of surprise here to catch them off guard, Um Otherwise, we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna get fucked, and they're gonna get away uh, with what we're looking for, kind of thing. Well, well, um, that's very true. It's also kind of like it's it's a hard thing to like balance against because that's one of the few tar- like if things go ass up, right? Like if rolls roll poorly, or there's yeah, you, even even if the party plans itself ahead of time and they just roll six ones in a row, like like kind of backing out and resting is one of the few things that parties have like control over in in their own right to mm-hmm. uh to, to kind of deal with that but but you're right if if there's no increasing stakes then you end up with with the 15 minute adventuring day and if um and but the but, you know it, it's a it's a hard thing to balance it really it really totally is um my you know my current uh I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts on these, but they're all kind of, like, scatters, so I don't really know that I can comment more on it. Uh, but we also played Hell's Rebels this week. Um, yes. The, the the episode, the filler episode that we've been talking about for quite some time, <laughs> um, which ended up to be way less filler than I kind of imagined. Uh, I, it was one of those things where originally I just was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'll give them this plot thread or whatever. And I just became a really good, straightforward place for me to do a lot of background info dumpy kind of character work. Uh, it was, this was, this is a very nice session because I really got to uh, throw Alaric a bone. Um, right. Who is otherwise tougher to integrate uh, with the, kind of like the rp of the party um it's pretty easy with you it's pretty easy with rakox because you know like you guys are like really tied to the world um but uh you know because uh, because alaric's like nature as a you know outsider from kionin kind of stuck here uh i i really kind of had to think that that would that one was the hardest uh kind of problem from an RP perspective, for me to think around yeah. on how to on how to incorporate. Not only that, but Al- Alaric as a character is, is an aloof character, one that like, like it's not like he he he's like uh you know like the kind of person that's like oh the rebellion I must help these poor souls get yeah, out from under the you know yeah. he's just kind of like a haughty elf, which is which is fine. It's just harder to tie into the central RP of the of, of the world without some sort of without some sort of tie like you have with uh, with with the shattered hall yeah i mean it's also one of those things where uh you know like 
like we're in Amerigrog also haven't gotten a ton of RP, which is kind of fine in my book because they really take off like uh, in book three, which is is very you know book three is very much kind of the outside Kintargo book, right? It's where you go out into Ravenel um, in general, and that's the place where. Weirin and Marigrug get to shine because they're not from Kintargo, but they are from kind of like the greater Ravenel area. And so I don't mind, you know, like it doesn't bug me all that much that Weirin and Marigrug haven't had all that much to do, you know, Jimmy and, uh, Jimmy and Warren. But, um, it, the, the same kind of thing is really true because, you know, you guys are never going to go to Kionin, right? Like, it's not like you're ever going to go to the Shattered Hall. And so moving Electro Fortinex here was kind of like the first, like, key to unlock in my mind. That was kind of like the first obstacle um, was to give him a specific tie to the city. Uh, and then when I, when I was figuring out, you know, like, well, let's, uh, you know, instead of just having them magically figure out that this is where the archivists are. Let's give them an actual lead for it. Uh, it was such an it was such a good fix that I was really I was really happy with that. Uh, and then I designed the encounter to fuck Alaric over. So you know <laughs> he couldn't. You know he got he got all the RP. So he really had to get screwed in in combat. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I mean. I. I definitely. You know. Bo- Beauregard. And while the encounter wasn't designed to fuck Beauregard over necessarily, Beauregard in combat gets fucked over. And I learned my lesson that I'm never touching anything again. And I'm staying in the very, very back. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, like, it was, uh, I, it was honestly so perfect, almost, how you kind of took the bait. Um, because, uh, I, you know, like, I, you know, I've been thinking about these Shroud Devils for a while. Um, I don't really know where that came from. I was just, like, you know, like, lying in bed right before I was going to sleep. Like, wouldn't it be cool if this thing were to exist or whatever? And I kind of got this idea of, like, these super sticky anti Super sticky but super fragile kind of anti-casters um, with, like, the five... You, you can't five-foot step away. They have standstill. Um, they're, you know, it's silenced in that, in that, uh, in that five-meter radius. And it's one of those things where it's, like, you know, if you don't peel almost for the Alarics of the group... Um, he's just going to get, you know, he's just going to get kind of perforated by the, uh, the shadow strikes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like the Shroud Devils a lot. I don't know. I, uh, I, I think, I honestly think that the, the thing where, um, the Shroud Devils only have one HP and so they have to make fort saves against the damage they take. Otherwise they basically insta-die. Uh, and the damage is cumulative over like each round, but it resets at the beginning of a round. Like that, you know, I was a really interesting paradigm cause I wanted to make it so that you kind of had to focus fire them down. Uh, but they just rolled really well during that uh. encounter. And I was just like, oof. Okay. Well, Oof. Maybe at some point we you should stat that up and we could do that as an episode because I, I thought they were interesting and I'd really kind of like to to kind of dig into the mechanics of them and, and see what I like and don't like about no, them. No, yeah, I mean they are they are like one hundred percent statted up, so we can. Uh, uh, I've actually I've done that with a couple of monsters uh, so far because I don't know why I don't know why I normally hate I normally hate this stuff so much kind of like monster design, um, but maybe it's just because I have more mastery over the systems now. Um, or because I'm just more kind of willy nilly with the numbers, you know, part, you know, like the, the, the thing with the shroud devils, it's like, well, so I know that standstill exists, so I can just give them the feet standstill. Right. But that aura that they have, right. It's just, I, that, that was kind of like a block almost in my mind with monster design was like, you know, I kind of can't use 
I can't just give them abilities arbitrarily, right? Right? They always have to be sourced in, uh, you know, feats or this or that or whatever. And I kind of broke that paradigm almost to say, you know what? Things have things. Ha- other things have auras. These guys have a very specific aura. Uh, you know, these guys have a very specific HP paradigm, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I I think the danger there is that um, the danger with any type of homebrew anything is that when things don't go like when 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 you get bad rolls, people are going to be like this rule. Is bullshit. Type of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like like we've seen with 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 uh, with with some of our some of our our other players in in, in the past, um, and you know, it, it can be frustrating, right? Like that's you know when like something suddenly has like a, a power, and you know, Pizer does it all the time with their monsters, but. I don't know. I feel like in, in that case, it's kind of like, well, Dol Paizo said it, and so it's, it's kosher. It's like fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you, when you do it yourself, you know, you can you can uh, accuse, make accusations of a, uh, of foul play. But um. Yeah, and I, it's also one of those things where I like one of the things that makes me really like homebrewing monsters is you can't SRD the stats. You know what I mean? It's not. It's this is one of the you know Nick is kind of the char- the, the the player who has like this encyclopedic knowledge, right? Of right. Like, you know, if you describe something to him, he knows what it is, and he can he, you know like for kind of from a metagame point, he can uh, like play around that. And um, when you when I when I homebrew something, and I'm not you the, you don't know what this thing is you can't look up shroud devil on the internet and figure right. out that oh okay you know it the it, it only takes damage from slashing and fire damage and uh it makes fortitude saves against the damage dealt to it each round in order to not dissipate right that's that's something that i was I, I was describing the mechanics of what was happening, but it took you guys a minute to kind of put it all together um, on how on how all of it works. And I think that that process is simultaneously frustrating, right? But it can also be very engaging, right? Like, right. And I think this is what, you, you know, on one side, you kind of had Chuck Lose who felt obviously frustrated because these things are built a little bit to kind of gimp his class. Uh, and then on the other side, you had Enoch who was really engaged because he was trying to figure out what the mechanics were, right? How do you kill these things? Um, and I think that, that, you know, that is simultaneously the upside and the downside to, to homebrewing this kind of stuff, um, in also, general. Also, you know, from kind of like the third party perspective, like Enoch's guesses as to what were going on just like seemed way off base, even to me. Oh, they I were just so like, it's funny because they were so off base, but they weren't bad. You know, like they weren't bad. He was right. still like, he was doing this weird ready to action thing. And I was like, "What?" And he and it's what that didn't hurt him. He was still getting his yeah, attacks yeah, no, absolutely. in, right? Like he was still doing his slashing damage, which was really important. But it was also like, you know, uh, I kind of didn't really see what he was going for. But yeah, but you know, that's that. You know, that's the, it was it was it was a creative interpretation of what could have been happening. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I did really yeah. like that encounter. I feel like that was, uh, uh, I liked that encounter a lot. No, it, was... it actually didn't even really go down the way that I was hoping it would. The the, the platonic ideal of that encounter was, because the, these redactors are monks, right? Um, 
is they're using Stunning Fist and then Magnus in the back is using Hold Person to lock people down so that the Shroud Devils can just, like, stab, stab, stab kind of thing. Um, but uh, we didn't. We never, like, quite got to that point, unfortunately. Yeah. Could can, can, can Magnus not do any damage? Because I was terrified that he, he was going to come in and, like, tap me on the head. <laughs> he doesn't have any damage. <laughs> oh, no, that's not, so that's not true, right? Technically, because he, he technically has uh, Inflict wounds or whatever oh, okay um, I, I but his yeah. yeah his whole thing was not his whole thing was cc he also had blinding ray but it was also one of those things where i gave him blinding ray and i was like oh great cc but then i was like well why though blinding ray is just kind of objectively worse than hold person and so i just kind of and you know when i was designing him i was i was i was like oh yeah okay cool blinding ray and then i was like and then in the counter i was like wait why the fuck would i ever blinding ray here is, is blinding ray level two yeah yeah blinding ray and whole person were both uh level two you only had uh a couple of level two spells um blinding does blinding ray allow a save every round i think that might be the differentiator blinding ray only lasts one round I wait think. really yeah it's really bad i don't know why like uh, that seems I, very th- of... thematic on him but like like because he is but the point I know, is I know, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, he also had that. He also had that homebrew where, uh, I mean, I te- technically I homebrewed this to be a, um, I homebrewed this to be a an oracle curse, right? But uh, like a very specific kind of oracle curse. But uh, you know that one thing, like what his his first revelation gave him, get this true sense, which basically means that he just. No, inside his 30 meter radius, right? He can just see everything, but he doesn't see it from like a cone of his eyes, right? He just passively sees this yeah, stuff. Yeah, th- that's like a hyper accelerated version of the actual blind curse, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a little bit different. Well, the thing is, is that I knew I wanted to do this kind of blind, uh, you know, this, I really wanted to do this blind thing where he was, uh, you know, where he's blinded, he's wearing a blindfold, he's seen, you know, Asmodeus showed him his death in the future kind of thing. I thought that was super neat. And then, um, and then I was like, well, wait, how can he be running the redactors if he can't read the books? Like... So I just kind of bullshitted. I gave him this thing called True Sense. Um, but obviously it only, it only goes out to 30 feet or whatever. And then the other ability, which was the kind of, uh, you know, RP flavor ability where he stuns you for a round by um, basically blinding you and showing you, like, the death of someone um, you care about kind of thing. That was that was neat. I was I had I had I had one of those planned for everyone in the party, but I only got to use it on you and Marigrug. Mm. Oof. I guess the, the the big thing we're gonna find out is if that that has to happen. I guess. Well, so the interesting thing I probably shouldn't say this. Man, I really shouldn't say this. The interesting thing is that that simultaneously it could be in the future, like those those visions, but they could also be in the past. Right. If that makes sense. Um so it's kind of it is kind of like crazy and it is kind of up in the air uh about what actually does take place and what actually does happen um yeah i mean i mean there is one of those things will will happen in the future maybe not necessarily in the game but like you know that's the the one the one for Beauregard, which was kenton on his deathbed is very clearly kind of like a plot hook into into my stated desires of running house Jeltaro. um and so that, that that's kind of neat there because that's kind of like at the very least one way things could play out. Um, 
but like the 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 Maragreg one was just brutal, right? Like that could have already happened. <laughs> no, no, I no, I love that one. That, that, that could I really like, love that one. That could happen to us later. Like he might have to go through that twice. Like that's 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 crazy. That's that that one's that one's uh. Uh, you know, I was, it was funny because as I was writing these out, especially for the Baragorg one, I knew I wanted to show him Ivory because, I, you know, Ivory is kind of his, you know, like, his halfling buddy that he's kind of obsessively, uh, like, still in Kintargo. Like, he's in Kintargo for trying to find her and everything. And I haven't really, you know, played into that all that much. He had the, he had the conversation with the apartment keeper or whatever way in the early bits of the campaign but i wanted to throw him this bone or whatever and i and i thought through a couple of iterations of it where i was like oh well you know like she gets killed by guards trying to escape or like all these other things and then i was just kind of like i actually think it's more brutal and it's more heart-wrenching that she just uh dies of dehydration in in a jail cell because people forget to you know go give her water you know it's like it's like it's such a it's not there's you know it's just such a mean terrible like meaningless death yeah oh yeah you know what i mean it's like you know it's not even it's not like he can it's not like he can channel like vengeance against like you know it's not like he's looking for like that one guard that like fucking you know like stabbed irie or whatever it's just like no it's like you know they they forgot about you know they forgot about her and she's sitting in this jail cell and she's you know ragged breathing and then it stops oh god i love i love that one that one was probably honestly my favorite uh of all of the uh of all of the visions um of all of the visions in the future but but uh, yeah but yeah um, now that this... we've you know waxed waxed and waned for 30 minutes <laughs> yeah um uh this cast's going up late apologies for that but we will be playing for a long session tomorrow um so uh, feel free to watch that, listeners at home, any of you that managed to listen to this before that goes live. Um, and uh, moving into um, Mass Combat. Yeah, so Mass Combat, this is my topic, listeners. I brought this one to the table. So I, the now that we're ending Book 1 in Hell's Rebels, I've kind of been auditing the game a little bit where I kind of uh, – because, because, you know, like, as you're running stuff, you can lose track of this and that or whatever, right? And I want to look look ahead and prepare for the future kind of thing. And one of the things that I've always known I wanted to do, uh, but I haven't started tackling yet, was uh, I always knew that there was going to be mass combat in the future, right? Um, you know, I think, I think it's... I just think it's cool uh, to to have you guys, you know, like raise an army to fight Barzillai. Honestly, I have to say the way that they they do it is really stupid. I think um, in book four when you're taking back the city or whatever, basically what they do is they give you uh, one random plot thread for each of the f- uh, each of the kind of districts in the city. I think there are like eleven of them. And they kind of just hand wave and say, when you complete this plot thread, the at the same time, the Silver Ravens have beaten back the, you know, uh, the the forces of Barzillai Thrun and solidified control of that district. And I was just like, that's so, oh, such an anticlimax, right? Like, I do want people to kind of fight for that stuff. Um, I want there to be a... Uh, you know, like, I, I want that to – it should be just as much of a thing for you guys to go perform this specialized task that only a party can do. But at the same time, also, you know, create a strategy for, you know, how are we going to get rid of this group of Barzillai's supporters from, you know, this this district in the city and kind of go piece by piece. So um, 
And then obviously, you know, book four scales into books five and six, which go further and further kind of thing. Uh, and so I've, and so I've known that I want to do mass combat for a long time. Problem is I think the mass combat rules in Pathfinder suck, right? Um, my main problem, I actually looked over them. Uh, I haven't looked at these mass combat rules in a long time. I ran a Kingmaker game where I looked at the mass combat rules and said, nope, this is stupid, and created my own. Um, but uh, th- I looked at them again because we had some extra time because we delayed the podcast, and I realized what it is that makes me not like the, the mass combat rules as written by Paizo. And it's the fact that – it's two things. The first, they're derivative. Um which I don't mean in like a, in like a contrived sense. I mean in the kind of the opposite sense. They're too tied to the rest of the game systems uh, in order to like function properly. I feel. Um, I think that the mass combat rules have to be uh, their own beast, and they kind of were. And and the mass combat rules, as written by Paizo, are weighed down um, by its connection to other rule systems like challenge rating and all of this other kind of stuff um and the second thing is i think it has very little room for uh it has okay room for like strategy but not great room for tactics and the difference there uh i mean is to me a you know to me strategy is right like the the big picture planning stuff right of i am going to you know i'm gonna put my strong infantry on my flanks and weak infantry in the center so that the weak infantry pulls back and pulls back and pulls back and the strong infantry holds and then I'm going to have my strong infantry envelop the enemy army um, because my my center has pulled back, right? That's a strategy. The t- but, like, tactics are things like they're, you know, in the battle, their unit of archers are shitting all over my unit of whatevers, so I, you know, I need my cavalry to keep them on the run uh, or kill them in order to prevent, you know, like these miss, you know, all of this missile damage from hitting my troops for free kind of thing, right? Um, and I don't think that the Paizo system really allows for a good implementation of either. Uh, I also think, by the way, that a lot of this is me uh, playing a lot of Total War. <laughs> yeah, so so to, to kind of contribute, I um I'm running mass combat in um you know what's uh, Wrath of the Righteous, um that that's a piece of it. You get a set army, you get like an army of paladins, and then you get some other stuff that that also goes along with it. And there's some interesting uh, opportunity for RP there, right? Like like one of uh, one of the characters is the head of the army and whatnot. And the mass combat rules aren't aren't great. But they are good at a couple things. Um, one of them being getting mass combat over with quickly. Um, it doesn't last very long. It's not like an encounter in 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 the dungeon yeah. where like it takes like you know half an hour to an hour to two hours to to fucking kill three goblins, right? It's usually like six dice rolls and it's decided. Um, on the negative side of that is is the combat's very swingy, right? Like to, to give you a brief overview, it's it's, it's essentially add some modifiers, make an opposed roll, and then subtract the difference from the loser. Um, and those modifiers at, like, when well, my characters are at, like, level 8-ish, those modifiers are, like, uh, rough... Like, the, the modifiers tend to be dominated by the die roll. So if the die roll's really hot, one side roll's really high, one side roll's really low, even if one army's much better than the other, it's not, like... You, the the difference isn't there enough to make up for it, and you can end up like killing either the player army or the enemy army 
very, very easily. Um, and that can be a problem when, when you know, the, the, the thrust of the story is Paladins marching. To, like, it, it's a problem not because the player can, players can lose. It's a problem because the players can lose and not feel like it was their fault. Right, um, yeah. And it, it, it's not like, you know, you can make... It's not like you have a lot of opportunity to make a minuscule... Uh, like, uh, make a, an adjustment round to round to account for the fact that you're doing poorly, right? Um, and I think some of the ideas they have are neat, like the the leadership traits um, and the uh, and the various army traits based on, like, equipment and whatnot, um, and, and the, class, the class that primarily makes up the army. I think those are really cool um, ways to kind of incorporate those elements into the armies. But I all but ultimately they, they come down to like pluses or minuses or like occasionally some neat things like like I think the paladin the pal, paladins are are particularly weird. I'm surprised that that Pies didn't flesh out the rules more for Wrath of the Righteous in particular because paladins get a couple of different abilities that do exactly the same thing, which is they heal themselves a bit. Um, but like that's rarely ever worth it. Um, it's 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 just. It's good as kind of like a set piece, and if you don't want to deal with it too much, mm-hmm. I think. But I think if you really want to engage with the system, you, you you need to look somewhere else. Yeah, I, it's one of those things where uh, I think I do kind of want to elevate mass combat to encounter level things. Um, I don't think you know, obviously, right? Like this is you know, this isn't total war, so I don't think it makes sense to kind of. Uh, have it be equal or dominate the campaign, obviously. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, one, it, it's a little bit like the uh, the diplomacy challenges, right? Like one or two uh, kind of sessions or encounters of uh, mass combat spiced in with the rest of the book, I think really goes, uh, goes a long way. The best encounter or the best like bit of mass combat I've ever had is in Mark's Endless Winter Game, which I talk about a lot, obviously. But uh, in Mark's Endless Winter Game, I was playing a warlord, right? And I, one of the things that I did kind of around level 10 or so is I established a, uh, like a military order, right? Because we, we – this wasn't supposed to happen, but we basically got control of a province – um, and we led the province, and I was basically the military commander of that province. And so, you know, I set out for this is how the army is structured, right? These are the different kinds of things. And I gave, I kind of gave Mark a good framework for these are the different kinds of units that we use in different kinds of ways. Uh, but basically what happened is, you know, we had a couple of instances of mass combat. And the defining characteristic was the type of unit, uh, you know, kind of like a, like a regiment was, right? You know, like you had uh, skirmishers who were basically, uh, you know, lightly armored, high, you know, like high DPS, high mobility, low tank, low armor kind of stats who could get all around the map and just like fuck on kids with like flank bonuses and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you had like sentinels who were like big sword and sword and board kind of tank lines. But the but the other half of it is that you combined right like the stats on the skirmishers, the sentinels, the whatever, um, with the stats of the PC who was leading that, right? You know, so my character was the healer in this game, and so um, whatever unit I was embedded into would passively each turn heal a percentage of its, you know, hit points, or it was like 20%, maybe it was like a quarter of their hit points back every round kind of thing. And Nick, who was playing a very high DPS um, kind of two-handed, he was playing a Warblade, um, you know, his ability was... uh, 
it was like a charge bonus kind of thing. It, it was like they could execute a special kind of uh, charge bonus and like you know and it and went kind of on and on so the strategy and like the interesting part of that mass combat was combining those two things right here here's the army a couple of units right eight, eight or so units four of them are going to have officers for the pcs or whatever um and you know mix and match how do you want to do this what's the most efficient way that you can craft an army uh out of this thing and then on top of that right we had a you know we had a map right we had a game board uh, where flanks and all that other kind of stuff kind of came in. And so to a certain extent, I want to replicate that system. Uh, but to another extent, I also kind of want to like um, figure out how to incorporate that uh, into that one. Because the thing is, is that that one had such a setup from the, the context of the game itself that I almost worry that uh, – that without that same kind of setup in context, it kind of won't land in the same way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, which is kind of why I want to start thinking about it now, obviously, because the more uh, kind of the more that we can tease out this stuff and have it so that, you know, by the time mass, you know, I think the platonic ideal here is like by the time mass combat rolls around or by the time mass combat like gets really kicking – um, you know, it's, it is a representation of kind of the coalition and the alliance you guys have built. Right. Right. Um, and I think that is the, that is the ideal, but it's one of those things where making that, making that happen, um, is kind of the make or break, but, uh, yeah. But it, yeah. It, it, when, when we were planning on recording this episode, we brought it up and discussed it with some of the members of our group. Um, and, and Nick offered this kind of suggestion that to feel engaging, like, Great man history style combat is very good for getting you the right feeling, right? Like, you know, it might not be, you know, historically accurate per se, but like, you know, pinning kind of the success on the army, on the actions of the great man leading the particular regiment mm -hmm. yeah. is, is a good way to, to, to make the characters feel important. You know, it's funny. I actually came around on this in the space of like half a day. Uh, when I originally, in my, in my original post... I called it patch notes. Uh, in my original patch notes for the uh, for the Hells Rebels thing, I basically explained it that what I wanted to do, I think, with mass combat was have you guys do that setup phase that I was describing, right, where you choose which armies, um, you know, like you know which units which have certain stats are led by which uh, uh, characters which have certain stats. And in my mind, what this looked like, right, is saying, okay, right, Hedman Hayes is going to lead this army, is going to lead this unit of whatever, and he's going to add his bonus of blank to their stats of blank, right? And so it was going to kind of be like a mixing and matching of, like, which of your kind of component NPCs, right? What what does Vigo's uh, stats as a leader look like, right? What does Mateo's stats as, as a leader look like? That kind of thing. Um, and then have you guys, the party, be off doing something else so that... Basically, the, the mass combat kind of happens off screen almost, right? So you set up the strategy. You say, this is how I want you guys to do it. And then you go and you, you know, infiltrate enemy lines and kill the commanding officer, right? You know, whatever whatever the case may be, right? The the thing that puts us in real actual encounters. And, uh, and then I kind of off screen, you know, and then I kind of off screen the battle itself. But I actually realized... Almost like within a day that I think that system is actually bad. I think that's like it undercuts. I think I think the strategy aspect of it is kind of only cool if you also get to execute on it. 
I, I think um, it, I, I think I think that's actually super important because like at that at that point I think it's, it's actually worse than you know kind of the what, what you said the original book does which is kind of it resolves itself because you set up the strategy and you don't see it play out and just kind yeah, of like some dice rolls like, that happen like, off screen it's, it's like, like setting up the it's like setting up dominoes and then walking away you know yeah when the dominoes fall and um, and like if 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 the dominoes don't like fall over and the like you come back and like half the set only like half the dominoes fell over it's like well what like like I know yeah I know like, I I totally agree um I mean I think there are ways you can do it like you know feeding in a bunch of information ahead of time I I think essentially this this comes in like a couple of flavors right like you I think you can do it that way that has to be like you know very preparatory focused and essentially how well you prepare kind of to determines your degree of success mm-hmm. and you kind of signal that in some way um and you can kind of like build a build that up by being like you know having signal various ways that you've prepared well or you haven't prepared well and then have that outcome kind of telegraph that i think that can work but it ha- but that works on kind of like the understand like that's not really strategy right like that's not like us being clever and planning something that's right. like us finding a piece of information being like they will use cavalry oh well then we will use anti-cavalry and you get a plus one to the resolve of the encounter type of deal. yeah yeah like uh you see that kind of stuff would really yeah and i think that works if you yeah. want if you want that to just kind of be hand wavy but it doesn't work as kind of like a brilliant tactician type or like brilliant like war leader type thing which is what i think you're going for i definitely think this. that that's true yeah i mean so uh th- so the other thing i guess this is almost I wonder what your opinion on this is. So the other thing I was thinking of was like, well, why don't we just do both, right? Like, why don't we have uh, the PCs accomplish whatever task they're looking to accomplish, right? Um, and then at the same time, the PCs just kind of adopt NPCs to play out the battle. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of possibilities almost for that. And I kind of like the idea of like, you know. Actually, uh, I, I there's, there's a couple ways that could go too. I like, you know. I, you know, the thing that immediately popped into my head is, like, party needs to do some sort of, like, assassination thing, you know, or, like, you know, rough somebody up or something. That's, like, the point where, like, Beauregard goes and commands the army while, you know, potentially I play, say, like, Ralph or Hedeman with the party while they go into the dungeon. Oof. Oh, my God. That is actually really interesting. Holy shit, you could actually do some really neat stuff with that by splitting up the party in that way. Because I actually think that you could, you know, you could do it almost in a way that, like, if, you know, like, oh my god, wow, that's really interesting. Okay, so yeah. here, here's the, the thought that just gave me, right? Let's say the whole thing, you just have the pool for the whole thing, right? So, on one hand, we have our units, right? And on the other hand, we kind of have our officers, which is all of the PCs and all of the NPCs kind of have their own kind of, like, unique shtick, Right. Um, so you have Hedeman Hayes, right? You have the, you know, like, you know, you have Hedeman Hayes, Vigo, Mateo, right? Whatever. Um, and then you get to pick and shoot. You, you say, you know, five people have to go on this assassination mission, right? So you get to choose which of the NPCs, which are going to be played by players, obviously, and which of the player characters are going to go on the assassination missions, and which of the NPCs and player characters are going to stay and command the army, and then you kind of get to like run both. I actually think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of potential in there. Yeah. I think that there's you know like, um, I think it. I don't know. I feel like it's it's that's that's just a that's a cool thing, and I like the trade off of like 
you know, it would be really useful for us to have our most powerful, you know, it'd be really useful for us to have Gonder with the troops, right? He's our most powerful spellcaster. He can do really cool things as a troop commander, but he's also our most powerful PC, right? So choosing whether or not you want him to go on the assassination mission, right? Or whether or not you want him to go uh, command an army. I think that choice is really compelling. So I think I'm with you for most of it. I think kind of, so So I think part of this that's important is that the player characters have to kind of always be the most important characters in order for this to, to feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think specifically with, with Gondar, who is kind of the example of, of a of a character that is better than the party at this point, having him be on like an individual assassination mission and outshine the player characters, I think that's a misstep. Um, but I don't like, I, I think that's only in that kind of case though, where you've got an NPC that's significantly more powerful than, than the player. Well, yeah. I, and the other thing is, is that, you know, this stuff doesn't kick in obviously until you right. guys are higher level. Um, obviously Gondor is the highest level, uh, it's one of those things where I think the player characters are naturally going to be the uh, – they're, they're basically going to be the highest level uh, for either side, eh, except for Gondor, because he just kind of has to be high level in order for me to do the things then. You know, in order right. for him to basically perform all of these story functions, I need him to perform, right? Yeah, I, I, feel, like, I feel like Gondor in particular needs, he's, yeah, he's Yeah, he's probably uh, – he, he needs to be like – you know, he needs to be like countering psychic. But he needs to be like locked in the basement doing some various important story function that hand waves him out mind of wiping. Yeah, mind wiping Kenrov. Well, or you know, like we're in mass combat, right? Like pr- 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 protecting the troops from like demonic influence or you know some something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Uh, or you know, having a one-on-one duel with Barzillai thrown on the battlements while we while we fight in the square. But you know, some, something like that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, <coughs> excuse me um but um so i think part of part of this is gonna like if, if you want to run that part of it's gotta be like the setup too like i could see this working very well i could see this being very dramatic with like you know you do an encounter on the assassination and then you kind of cut to the battle and you play out a piece of the battle um you know i imagine this very cinematically in my mind mm-hmm. but in order for that to work that has to happen during one session I feel like if you, like, you know, we have to do a super session for that, because I feel like if you split that out over a couple sessions, you're going to lose a lot of context. That's true. I also think that it's not something that really works for every battle encounter. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, I actually agree with that. I think it really works for kind of the, uh, and by the way, uh, not to pat myself too much on the back, but I really like this idea of kind of like one a book having like a mega dungeon, uh, right. like a double session or whatever. I think that this would be perfect for that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, right? I agree. It's really, it's really perfect for that kind of super long engaged uh, version of playing D&D. Uh, but I also think that there ha- – you know, you, th- th- I just don't have the, the mega dungeon real estate in order to uh, – because hypothetically there's only going to be six mega dungeons over the course of the whole campaign, right? Um and so cannibalizing too many of those to make these that kind of battle work doesn't quite doesn't N- quite not only jive. that but if you do it too many times it'll it'll lose the impact of yeah of, like, no I one hundred percent agree yeah but it's definitely one of those things where I want that you know like I want the mass combat to be something that we come back to right I definitely want for I definitely want Wednesday sessions to include mass combat every once in a while um, 
but you know you know have it be kind of a lower level uh affair almost i think is uh i mean we, we you could also do something like like some sort of mix and match variation right mm-hmm. like you could you could do some like one you could do like this kind of like you know, one one team goes assassinate, one team goes and does the battle. You could do that in two distinct. Like I think if you do all of the assassination in one session and all of the battle in another session, I think that works across multiple weeks. I think also if you kind of like if for a certain set of them, you let the party choose which one they want to do, right? Like maybe this time the party goes and does the assassination. And the explicitly uh, choose to off-screen that. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I actually think that's an interesting kind of setup because I, you know, like if you if you were to say right, like you can you can, the party can either you know all command in the battle or all leave the battle to go do the assassination uh, to go you know perform like this special special forces special uh, covert ops mission or whatever. Um, that that's a, that's a really engaging choice because it's like hey, listen, you know. You're running a risk either way, right? You're either right. running the risk that you lose the battle or that you fail the assassination mission. Um, which one do you kind of choose? Is uh, I think that's I think that's intriguing. But yeah, I, I think I I think I think there's a lot of space to explore that. I think I think it's it's kind of ripe for opportunity. But I think you know, kind of the, to bring us back on center, the way the way to make that work is you need an engaging mass combat system. To make people want to choose the mass combat. That's version. true. You, okay, so I have a really crazy mass combat system that I don't think is good, but I think is really interesting. So I'm going to bring it up anyway. Okay. Uh, so here's something I was thinking about. <laughs> something. So obviously, I've been playing a ton of Total War. Uh, Total War Warhammer came out a month ago today, and I have put uh, let's look 91 hours. Are into you going to suggest we play a game of Warhammer? No, for the mass no, combat? not at all. No, no, no. But here, but. Uh, that, but I was basically thinking about it by, like, kind of almost adopting um, a lot of, like, by just kind of cribbing the war, the way Warhammer does combat um, in order to make it, in order to make it work. So here's kind of the, like, the breakdown, right? Uh, you know, you, you have your unit, your unit has however many guides, it has however much HP or whatever. Um, it has two, st- it has two stats, melee attack, melee defense. Um, and, uh, for, to kind of like determine who wins combat each round or whatever. Um, and it has, uh, weapon strength, right? Which determines it's basically damage, right? So this is very, this is kind of cribbed one-to-one from basically Pathfinder, right? You have your attack rolls, you have your AC, you have your HP, you have your weapon damage, right? Kind of thing. Um, in my mind though, you don't actually have to, uh, here, here's, here's what I think. You have you have one unit on each side. Um, the two units crash into one another and they fight, right? Uh, then on the on unit A's turn, right? Unit A rolls for melee attack against an opposing roll uh, for melee defense. Probably not a d twenty roll, but maybe a d twenty roll if the if I, I'm very sensitive to the thing that you described earlier, which was the uh, uh, the like the uh, the the whole combat being kind of like the bonuses being so small that really the d twenty roll determines how the combat goes. Um, but you know, maybe they you roll a d six right, and you add your melee attack of value of four versus the melee defensive value of three for the other side, and then kind of almost. Um, uh, uh, but the thing is, 
here's what I was thinking. That's crazy. What if the size of the unit was also part of it? And your your stuff like weapon, uh, your stuff like uh, melee attack uh, was determined not in like the Pathfinder way of you just roll for the whole unit, but almost in like a shadow run way of you roll a whole bunch of times and just kind of count the successes. Um, so here's what I was thinking, right? Let's say my unit is 10 by three, right? 10, uh, 10 wide, three deep. Each unit is that for each unit or for each like square, the two units are touching an instance of combat takes place on that square. Right. And so when the attacking uh, team goes, the attacking team basically rolls, you know, the shadow run stuff, but with modifiers, right? Like 2d, you know, 2d6 or whatever over, uh, over, uh, uh, Buddy, have you played Warhammer? The actual Warhammer game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because you, you sound like you're talking something akin to that, which I... I, I am talking something akin to that. But, because, uh, but... Because, because that, that sounds like a very kind of like, you know, that, that game is kind of like you, you roll a thousand D6 and count the successes and those count as hits against the enemy. Yeah, that is 100%. Yep, I'm 100% cribbing that stuff, right? Um, but the thing is, is that you can also, uh, like the size of your unit is determined by stuff like, uh, so like for each point, like for hit points, right? Let's say my unit has 2000 hit points, right? And it occupies, you know, uh, let's say actually to make this easy, let's say it has 300 hit, or 3000 hit points and it occupies those 10 by 330 squares, right? Well, that means that each square itself has 100 hit points. So as you are losing people, your the size of your unit decreases, right? As you're pulling basically squares from the back line, they're getting right. depleted or whatever. So that as as the combat goes on, um, you're losing more and more dudes and your the size of your unit is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so that was kind of like the base. And then you all, the other thing I was thinking of is, uh, you know, you have flank bonuses where you do uh, – you know, one and a half damage on the sides, double damage kind of from the back, um, you know, charge bonus, that kind of stuff, right? But, you know, that's that's kind of like whatever. So that was like – that was what I was thinking. And I was like, you could actually make this work in roll 20 because you have that little draw tool. So, like, each round you could have whoever's commanding whatever army just draw out what the formation almost looks like uh, for for that army. I don't know. Uh, how do you can, think can, about can you this describe, can you describe crazy this, idea? This kind of intersection – Rule again because I'm not quite following it. Like, like- so okay, so um, so you know, like I I have a big block. It is ten wide by three, three deep, deep yeah. right? Uh, I hit the other block right head on. So that and that block is also ten wide by three deep. So the um, so basically I'm doing damage along each one of the. Uh, each place where the two touch, right, which would be the ten blocks uh, at the at like the top of it, right. That's where the combat takes place, if that makes sense. Right. And so, and then the combat is basically determined by these kind of like shadow. So then you say, okay, I'm I'm fighting you in ten spots, so I'm going to roll ten melee attack rolls, and you're going to roll ten melee defense rolls, kind of thing, and we're going to net it out, and then just apply the weapon damage based on whatever. Right, my weapon damage is you know, 24d6 or whatever it is kind of thing. Uh, And so I do 75 damage per success, right? So let's say, you know, I hit you in four of those 10 combats, I do damage, right? Right. Then I'm doing, for, for, then I'm doing, 
the 24d6 averages out to about 75, right? Uh, so I do 75 damage times each of those hits. And so then the defending army has to subtract those units. But at the same time, right, the defending army can also beat me with its melee defense rolls, and it can do damage to me. So we're both losing units. It's just like the rate at which units are lost. I think this is not great for a couple of reasons, but I just wanted to explain it because it's it's been so sticky in my mind. So I don't think it's it's I don't think it comes in a bad place. I, I think like this is gonna sound funny, but I think that you'd be better served by bringing it closer in line with the Warhammer rules, um, just because I think that that system actually kind of works well for what you you want to aim for, including the kind of like great men aspect, right? Like I'm not saying we have to emulate those rules one to one. But I think the kind of, like, you know, at melee range, everybody in melee range gets to make, and you maybe have, like, a rule that's, like, the pile-on rule that lets the people behind the, the first line also attack. And then you kind of, eat, like, each of the, depending on how well-trained they are, they get a success on a 4-5 or, or, like, you know, on, on whatever die you choose to roll to determine the success. Yeah. And then you, you take hit points off of the enemy numbers based on that as well um, in, in, in that kind of way. And I think that that kind of gets you where you want to be, and that system's kind of well tested in that way. I actually kind of think that you're right. I, you know, I yeah, I actually do think that you're right. I, it's one of those things where uh, you know, it's one of those things where I like the I like the way that the uh, you know I like pluses, right? Right. Um, it's a little bit weird to me that like a good unit in Warhammer has a two rating in like attack right but really what that means is as long as you roll a two or up you hit or whatever it is right Right. but it's just like it looks weird because pathfinder is kind of counted in the other way um yeah i mean you know D D like to like do, do you know what thaco is no so to this is this is this is an old thing this is before i think you this might even be before you and i were born um but that this is from like ad and d thaco is to hit armor class zero because armor class used to go down and going down was better um, and so your Thaco was the number you had to hit, you had to roll to hit armor class zero, and then armor classes went up from zero, basically. Um, and so that that's kind of like I think where all these things kind of started, and then uh, third and three point five actually reversed it so that bigger numbers were better. Um, little bit of history for you folks out there. Oh yeah, you know I've I've only played one thing of AD and D before, and it was fifteen years ago. So yeah, ten years ago, I guess. Um, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. That's true. Uh, yeah, I you know I think that might be uh, I think that might be uh, that might be right. The other thing is uh, what I like about this idea with kind of formations is that you can you know, you can dynamically change how your formation goes. So you can have very long thin lines, but that means that like you know you really run the risk of losing. Uh, you know you don't have the reserves to replenish all the HP damage that you're taking, kind of thing. Right. Um, I don't know. I uh, I don't know. I was just think. I I honestly think that is just too unwieldy to probably make work. Uh, but I think that your your the I think the skeleton of the uh, like you know cribbing Warhammer rules in order to determine how units interact is probably on the money. It's just kind of the 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 fleshing out of how do uh, 
right because we units interact uh, and we want we, we definitely want to do it in a grid we don't want to do like warhammer tape measure rules i think oh yeah i hate that yeah no it would 100 percent be a grid um it would 100 percent be yeah. a grid but i i think kind of u- using those things as a starting point is, is is kind of a good way to kind of get get into that space unless you have like a, a, a an idea that kind of Something totally different that'll that, that'll also kind of get us there. I, I think that might be a, a good kind of leaping off point. Yeah, yeah, I think. Jeez, uh, I do kind of think that that's the case. Yeah, and so the other thing. Um, so the other thing I was thinking about with regards to mass combat is uh, I really like the. Um, I you know. I think the relationship between units... I think that relationship between units and officers is a big deal, right? Uh, I think it really sticks on the great man stuff that Nick was talking about that I guess I wasn't there for, because I don't remember him actually... This was when we were going to try and record this podcast the first time, mm-hmm. and you had to go do your thing. This mm. is this is this is when I was when I was prepping myself for it. We were talking about it. Oh, okay, yeah. I I definitely feel that like the great man stuff works, but it's also one of those things where it's um. Uh, it's also like you know you have to create a whole bunch of rules for all of these officers. Part of me actually likes the idea of saying like you have a limited number of units, right? Like let's say you only have five or six units, right? You have let's say two units of archers, three units of just kind of like sword and shield infantry and one unit of cavalry, right? And you have like ten officers, right? And choosing which ones go in uh, is, I think, is, like, an interesting thing. But I really want to do that because so much of the game, obviously, is kind of about, like, you know, you gotta catch them all, gotta collect all of those NPCs. Right. <laughs> um, and I like the idea of it, of kind of saying, you know, this is what Mateo is like uh, as a military leader, right? Like, this is what he does, this is what uh, you know, Vigo's like, this is what, you know, even some of the team leaders, right? Like, Ralph, right? Like, you know, I think that stuff is cool. Um, I also th- I also think that doing this kind of on a team level is, is kind of neat, right? Like Ralph's pirates having a specific kind of, uh, you know, like unit makeup or whatever to be fighting is, is also cool. And it, and it helps to like tie this all back into, uh, you know, obviously you don't have your team of traders going out into the field or anything. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's... I think there's a lot of details that 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 kind of want exploring, um, and I think that like you know, I, I think you're right that having like you have to kind of like like maybe your traders don't go out into the field as traders, but like when you're looking to fill your ranks of an army, maybe they're just like not great soldiers type of deal, um, and, and you know there's I think there's other concerns too like how, like, that kind of command works, because, like, I think there's an easy space for, like, um, for characters to kind of be their combat personalities in this mass combat, right? Like, to be, like, a super-powered individual unit and kind of take down a bunch of people. Um, I think on the other hand, though, like, and, you know, forgive me because this, this is kind of tuned to Beauregard, like, Beauregard isn't good at regular combat. He's certainly not going to be doing a lot in mass combat. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like, maybe that's just kind of an edge case that we, we kind of hit, like, you know, we hand wave off because it's Beauregard, um, and he's he's a weird character anyway, and mo- most uh, most of the characters can kind of just be their combat personalities in mass combat, and that works. 
Um, but I think that those types of like, you know, having this kind of, like, like when you talk about like the, the, the strategy, right? Like, um, I don't think Beauregard's the right character person, like, uh, like character class wise for this. Like, but I could imagine say like a cavalier or a, uh, or, you know, a, a very, uh, profession soldier themed martial, uh, like fighter, um, instead of being with the unit kind of like standing in the back and kind of like barking orders in the right direction or like like a, if someone were to play warlord uh for instance um and i think that's i think that's like a cool idea but i also think that that's potentially a lot of rules bloat that you don't want to try and teach people um yeah that's definitely true um one of the things that i did in kingmaker uh the kingmaker mass combat didn't work out for other for a couple of reasons but one of the things i think i kind of hit on the head which was nice was i just cribbed uh league of legends classes for the different unit types um so you had assassin mage marksman support fighter tank um and it actually really worked to make the you know, like, support is, right, it's a, it's a unit of clerics, right? And so supports had the ability um, to empower adjacent units by buffing them, basically, by saying, you know, this unit deals an extra plus one on all of their attacks. And then they could, they had a special action where they could, like, heal uh, an adjacent unit or whatever. Uh, and that make you know, like, that just makes a lot of sense, right? If you had a unit full of clerics, that's what they would do. They would buff a bunch of soldiers, and they would cure light wounds a bunch of soldiers, right? Um and then you had right like fighters right the, the only the only unit that could uh, charge were fighters, um, and uh, and like they ignored their their passive ability was ignoring the effects of kind of like bracing so that you couldn't uh, reduce the damage of like incoming charges kind of thing right so I think I think that though Wait. that's so so sorry 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 to nitpick right here but doesn't that make brace completely useless it makes. Uh, Bracing is good against other stuff, right? If I'm getting peppered, so marksmen, right? They're they're basically they're uh, they're so each one of these units, right? They had a couple of stats, um, you know, their HP value, the amount of damage they did. There's no like attack rolls or anything, which is by the way the big place that this this really kind of falters. Um, they had uh, they had a passive that said marksmen can attack any unit within uh, a couple of uh, hexes because this was all on a hex grid, um, and they can't melee attack. Um, and, uh, but what they, but, you know, an action, a standard action that any unit could take was bracing, right? So if a group of marksmen is about to be attacked by, by a bunch of assassins, right? You could brace and take half damage from those assassins. Um, or if, uh, if a group of assassins are getting attacked by, you know, marksmen, right? If you don't want your assassins to get completely, you know, destroyed by marksmen who are picking them off from however many tiles away, um... You, um, you have them brace, right? You have them move, action, move, standard action, brace, so they don't, so they don't take much damage while they're getting in range to actually like shit on kids, kind of thing. Right, right, right. Um, but fighters, their passive is they ignore the effects of bracing on enemy units, and then their uh, uh, their special action is their charge. Right, right. Uh, right. So, so you said something like you could ignore like. Negative effects of bracing against charge, and you know my my mind oh, went oh, to D and D bracing. Yeah. It's like yes. fighters are the Sorry. only ones that could charge; they could ignore the effects of bracing. Yeah. Like why would you? Yeah, but yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. That makes sense in, in full context. Yeah. To be honest, I'm actually looking at these rules again. Uh, I actually like these rules a lot in general. I'll probably crib, 
crib a lot of them but i think the biggest thing that uh the biggest thing that came down it came down to was the only defensive stat was how much hp you had and the only offensive stat was how much damage you dealt um so it um having different ways uh to kind of articulate out uh or kind of like tease out uh successful accuracy versus successful damage i think is is kind of the 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 ideal to be found um for instance the tank the the uh the tank's passive was friendly units adjacent to the tank count as bracing so if you had a tank unit and a fighter unit go engage an enemy unit that was that was rough right because the fighters are automatically bracing right. no matter what um and the uh 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 the fighters are also uh going to ignore like enemy bracing i mean fighters were obviously the ones who were really built to be doing um kind of the most from a head-on engagement head-on engagement in melee thing the assassin rules were uh they had extra move uh they had extra movement and um assassins could ambush targets um where if the if the enemy if the enemy unit it doesn't have any friendly units nearby right if it's isolated it does uh extra damage does a whole bunch of extra damage yeah i, I hmm. interesting um i mean we have another i could literally i could go through i'm looking at all of these you want me to tell you what they do yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> okay. So here, so the, the like I said, the Assassin, 20 HP, right, which I think is the lowest amount of HP. Its base move is six units instead of four. Um, they don't proc opportunity damage, which is basically if I move past another unit, they just get a free instance of damage on me. Um, and their, their special attack action is ambush, right? Uh, if a target is – you can only use this on enemy units with no friendly units adjacent to it um, – and uh, ambush does basically double damage, right? They do two d twelve damage rather than one d twelve damage. Also, if the enemy unit is bracing, the assassin only does the base damage. Um, then we got mages, who are you know utility, right? Mages can attack any unit within three hexes, but they can't melee attack. Uh, but as an action, they can teleport uh, themselves or an adjacent unit its move value instantly. Um, they disappear and reappear in whatever other hex without moving through the, the rest of the, uh, uh, without moving through like the rest of the squares and proccing opportunity damage supports have 25. Oh, uh, mages also have 20 HP and do 1d10 damage. Um, supports have 25 HP. They do 1d8 damage adjacent units, uh, deal plus one damage on all of their attacks and they can, as a standard action, um, heal an adjacent friendly unit for 1d8 hit points. Marksmen um, have 15 HP, do 1d12 damage, and uh, their their passive is they can volley for three hexes. They can't melee attack. Uh, as a move action, marksmen can double their range and increase their damage dealt by three for one round. Um, so basically, if a marksman sticks in one spot, they can move They can move action, range finder, attack action, uh, standard action attack kind of thing. Uh, that doesn't stack with other flat bonuses. Uh, fighters have 25 HP, do 1d10 damage, ignore bracing, uh, and the charge. So the charge is actually different than I thought it was. 
which is kind of weird. The charge is actually a move action. A fighter may move its speed in a straight line. If the char- if the fighter moves, uh, if it moves its full speed or is blocked by an enemy unit, they may immediately attack any adjacent enemy unit. Um, they cannot. They can't charge adjacent targets. What? This is so weird. Oh, I get it. I get it. So here's what you can do with a fighter, right? You can hit multiple units in a round by okay. charging. You can charge along a line, and I can hit two, like because I can hit my the the adjacent unit. So let's say, you know, there's one on either side uh, of the charge line. Uh, of the charge line, I can hit them kind of in passing right, as right, I okay. as I hit the like the end the end target, and then tanks thirty HP, one d eight damage. Uh, friendly adjacent units count as bracing, and they have a special attack action called intercept, where they ready an interception. Um, whenever an enemy melee attacks a friendly unit, the tank may immediately move up to four squares to a haste to a hex adjacent to both the enemy and the friendly unit. If the tank cannot complete that movement inside of four squares, they can't move at all. Uh, if the tank successfully intercepts, they receive the incoming damage instead of the friendly uh, instead of the friendly unit, and the tank is considered bracing for this effect. Right. So if I have a group of assassins and they're about to hit my marksman, I can have my tank rush in, take the damage, consider it bracing. Right. And now my marksmen are also bracing because of the passive. Right. Did you get all that? Is that yeah, yeah. Confusing? Yeah. Yeah. So it makes. Interesting system. I'd have to kind of like run numbers to figure out what I. Yeah, think. I think my numbers are off. Looking at this, it is ridiculous that marksmen have that one thing that increases their damage by three. What the fuck was I thinking? Mm. But I, I feel I, like you, wow. Yeah, I stupid. think that's actually not a bad framework to kind of like, you know, if you want to do one half, you know, if you want to do one half, Warhammer like inspired rules and one half kind of. Like this is kind of how you framework out the base the basics. I think that works. I think you might want to add like I think in order to keep things from getting too same, you might want to flavor up some of the special units, right? Like, um, you know, like like say Ralph's pirates get like a special thing attached to them, um, just because they're like the easiest easiest ones. Well, so the other half of this I think is that these stats get combined with uh, leaders, right? So if let's say let's say the pirates are a group of assassins, right? Um, and Ra- and Ralph as their leader, right? Like, let's say Ralph's leadership ability is something like, um, if Ralph is, you know, if if Ralph is commanding a group of assassins, the assassins can ambush from, you know, one extra like like square away and pretend that that ambush is, uh, you know, with with gunpowder weapons, right? So that the the you know, like, the pirates all just open fire with their pistols right, right, and right. shit like that, right? I mean, that's really stupid and bad, but that that would kind of be the thing that flavors... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Those yeah. assassins from Mateo's assassins who might do something different. Like, they, Mateo's assassins might have, like, poison damage or something crazy. Right, right, right. Uh, I, I, I think that kind of works as, like, a... I think, I, like I said, I think I think a lot of this needs a little bit of, like, tweaking and maybe, mm. a, maybe a little bit of, like consideration otherwise but i think it's like a, a very good starting point um for for kind of getting to where where we we would want to be another part of this too is as i meant to bring this up earlier is part of this is engagement from players right like you've kind of sold me on this idea but i'm kind of big into these war gamey type things um 
it's it's a lot of kind of like stuff to digest and if you don't have buy-in from the party that can kind of be not yeah that deck could definitely could be problematic right. i could definitely see somebody kind of like tune out almost because they don't want to like you know learn the rules to this system yeah um, or or like you know it, like you know maybe they maybe they don't want to learn the rules maybe they just didn't have the time or to to learn the system in learn the system before we actually play the game um part of what i was thinking much earlier was like you were you were talking about kind of like getting the engagement right on the mass combat um i think it's something we like that you'd want to ramp up into i don't think like i definitely think that like um you know first mass combat here are the rules go have fun in the sandbox type of deal is not the right way to do it for yeah, I agree for, with that. for especially our our group at 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 the moment. I think you could maybe do that if the group was like you, me, Nick, and Mark. Um, but that's just because the type of players that we are. Um, but um, I think maybe like something that occurred to me was maybe something like having this kind of play out in miniature for like a mission or two that mm-hmm. we send people off on. Um, to just kind of like introduce some of the concepts, maybe I don't know. That, that that was just like literally something that that seemed like it might be like a, a good stepping stone up. I don't know how how realistic that is or what. what you know, interestingly, what I did on uh, what I did for Kingmaker was I had it be basically a simulation. Um, I created a version of basically uh, like an in 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 world version of chess called Saivas, um, and ba- which said and and I had them play like quote unquote a Saivas game, but the Saivas like. The, the game of Saivas to use the exact same rules right. as mass combat. So it was a very low stakes, you know, there was nothing, it's not like they were going to like lose this whole army that they had built up um, kind of thing if they, if they lost that, that game almost. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It's also one of those things that's interesting. Uh, there's a couple of places where it's going to, I, you know, cause obviously I know what the plot points are for, you know, book three, book four. And there's a few places where we're going to have to fudge it almost because the scale isn't quite up to like mass combat levels right to me mass combat is like each unit is about a hundred dudes right right which is you know i think a lot. You, you know yeah exactly that's a lot right but you know we're dealing with people inside of a province inside of a, of a nation we're not dealing with you know ten thousand man armies we're dealing with you know, 500 guys kind of grouped together or whatever. Um, but there's also instances where it's like, well, there's like 25 of you, right? And so whether or not that uses mass combat rules, whether or not that uses kind of uh, like a cribbed up uh, rules, right. it's, it's also kind of up in the air uh, for me. I'll have, to, I'll have to think about that, but yeah. Uh, I think the big thing with mass combat from... I like those unit stats, or not stats, I like those unit like... Um, I think the, the like the kind of the flavor and the purpose uh, in kind of their passives and everything like that that works pretty well. Um, what doesn't work, I think, is figuring you have to figure out some way to like standardize unit size, which I haven't quite thought through. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also think though, like the the abilities have like good thoughts behind them, but I think some of them need to like be tweaked a little bit. I don't think that tank ability can stay. To be yeah. honest, the the intercept one. I don't think I I like the idea of it and everything, but I think it's. Uh, uh, I don't think you could. It, yeah, I agree. I don't think it could stay as kind of written. Yeah, me neither. Um, 
I also think uh, I think I think some of these are fine. Some of these are the, otherwise. The mage one is really good. The teleport. I think I remember when I when I played that Saivas game. I'm pretty sure that's how I beat the PCs. Um, was I teleported like a unit of fighters behind them or something like that? And it was just like, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Get fucked. Like that's rough. I I think they're like. I think that, so it's, it's, it's like, I think maybe, like, specifically, like, hmm, I think mages as a unit doesn't necessarily make sense in kind of, like, the world that this is in. Yeah. Right, like, in, in, in kind of, like, Warhammer sense, right, like, having a mage, right, like, maybe that's, like, what Alaric or what Gondar can do when they lead an army um, makes sense. But I don't think a whole unit of them necessarily makes sense given the kind of quantity of casters. Yeah, typically I wonder what, what, what would you like? What are some other things that you would think of as mages being able to do? Um, Like, you know, depending on, on the, like, you know, Alaric, I would say something like. Well, do you mean as like a unit or as yeah, a... like like I don't think so. I don't think the teleport makes sense. I think you're right. I don't think that makes sense, and I don't think it can stay. It's too good. Um, but I can't think of something offhand that I would replace it with. Well, so so I think what what I think is that mages as a like I don't think a hundred mages exists as like a block in in this kind of universe we're in, right? Like I I don't think oh, you have like I, I just don't think like a regiment of mages really exists in Kintargo, except in, like, a special case, right? Like, a, as it's, like, a one-off thing. Mm-hmm. I think, like, to kind of bring it back more to, like, traditional things, like, instead of, instead of kind of rotating around this kind of mage assassin fighter type block, like, you know, cavalry infantry, like, not exactly cavalry infantry artillery, but, like, that kind of, like, more mundane level, and then, like, instead of mages being a unit type you have a mage, like, a mage is very probably going to be a leader, and so he kind of, impo- like, you know, maybe Gondar can teleport his unit, um, or... An- I see what you're saying. That's kind of interesting. Because, see, well, so part of me thinks that there is actually something kind of to, like, you know, let's say you guys rally all of the students at the Alabaster Academy together, right? I think right. we'll make a unit of mages out of that. But it, right, it's, but it's I- really rough, like, what, what are they all... I also you know, think, that, like, we rally the unit of mages at the Alabaster Academy, but that's kind of, like, the only mage unit that exists, right? And, like, you know, this is kind of like what I was saying was, like, you know, maybe you flavor out the pirates to have something special. And maybe those Alabaster Academy mages, you know, you have them led by either Fortnax or Alaric, and you give them kind of, like, like something akin to Burning Hands or, or, or something like that to, like, give them, like, spread damage or, like... um kind of like uh like like uh a, a source of damage like you know maybe burning hands has has like more hits than usual or has like a higher hit range in that way and i think that you can kind of like get like the kind of like burst mage feeling out of that but i also don't think you have like seven of them on the battlefield if that makes sure what if uh what if it looks like you know like in total war warhammer there are unit sizes that are smaller right yeah there's the big 80 people unit sizes but there's also units of like demi griff knights are 12 guys right Right. maybe it's something along those lines um 
where the unit size is is, is smaller, and therefore you kind of have to have to protect it better, maybe. Or maybe mages are just kind of a fancy term for marksmen, right? Maybe you just have yeah. marksmen who are you know who shoot arrows and marksmen who shoot fireballs and call it a day. That's an idea, huh? You have you have marksmen. You so I actually think that might be the right way. That group of mages from like if we recruit the Alabaster Academy, um, or the Archivists or whatever, right? right that's a group of marksmen that has, like, a fireball special attack that does something slightly different than a normal marksman does, right? I imagine, like, the base versions of these units are the kind of groups that we can hire as as kind of, of, of pieces of the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like these kind of special groups that we that we bring together kind of get a little bit... Like, like that seems to be the natural extension, right? The pi- Like, the pirates get a little bit of special thing if we recruit the Alabaster Academy, they get a little bit of a special thing. Um... And maybe even, you know, after, if this plays, you know, stories get told and, and things play out differently, you know, maybe if one of these groups of, of regular thieves or whatever does particularly well in combat, they kind of, like, evolve into that. But I think that's kind of, like, the space you kind of want to move to to kind of, like, get the engagement there, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, I feel that. And on the opposite side, you've obviously got, you've got the Hell Knights. You've got, well, uh, the, you've, you've got, you've got the... um the Chelsea's like I feel like the Chelsea Citizens group is the is kind of like the opposite of the basic units like the, oh yeah uh, I, the the uh, the, I, the Citizens group is like have you ever played you played Total War two right uh, you know, Rome pleb, yeah Rome you know yeah. units of plebs yeah yeah they're yeah. just like shitty like dudes in tunics with like knives and they're just they break instantly they're totally useless that's what i think of as uh the challenge citizens group but there's like a, there's like 150 of them but kind of like on on the scale of like you know who are we hiring to fucking we're not hiring like you know gladiators out of the arena for the rebellion right like i think the challenge mm. citizens group and like a group of like brawlers um, kind of goes one to one on one with each other in combat. It comes out about even ish. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think I feel that. Um, and you know, maybe the and yeah, I I assume that Bard's Life Thrun has stuff up his sleeves that we haven't seen yet. But like, um, you know, I think you could do similar things for them, right? So long as the like, uh, like may, maybe not even Order of the Torrent, like a different Hell Knight group comes in, and they have kind of special ish units or um. I don't know, like, like the Church of Asmodeus sends out, like, a group of, like, maybe clerics, maybe, like... Paladins. Yeah, or, or the um, the Redactors. The Redactors. The Redactors would be a perfect yeah. example of this. Yep, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Where they're... Because the Redactors are all monks, but... Right. Well, some of them aren't, but most of them are monks. Right, but, like, you, you can... You can... You know, they're fighters in this parlance, and they've got, like, you know, something slightly different to them that lets them that lets them kind of shine as a little bit unique. You know, like, um, you've got, like, it, it just kind of is, like, to, to throw out numbers, you've got, like, four units of Charles Citizen plebs um, and, like, a group of redactors that's a little bit special. And then on the other side, you've got, like, our brawlers and, like, the group of, uh, and, the, and the group of uh, pirates or and or Ad- Alabaster Academy, and they kind of go head-to-head. And you've got, like, the majority of the units operating on the base rules... And a unit or two at, uh, on the base rules plus whatever their commander effect is, and a couple right. units that get a little something extra. And I, I, I think that maybe is is the right way to kind of get the, the platon- flavor. Right. Yeah, the platonic ideal. Yeah, I think that that's. Uh, I think that that's 
Right. Yeah. I think I think the big thing is figuring out how to It's figuring out how to do like movement and stuff kind of on like the big map, right? Yeah. Um I don't know that you know, like hexes make sense. I don't know if if uh, square grids make sense. I don't know if you want to do like big, un- you know what I mean? Like, do you want to do like big unit sizes, right? Like the ten by threes, and have kind of like rotating and about facing kind of be rough, so you can't be super nimble. And maybe some units are more nimble than others, right? Yeah. Maybe you have. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that stuff is all kind of up for grabs. I um, feel that also kind of like bogs you down in the weeds type of type of issues that you that you that you can get to mm-hmm. um again i think part of this is 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 frankly um you if you're thinking about doing this at home um and we should like engage the group about how much they want to get into it right like I'm, i know see I, this is all this is totally one of those things where i'm actually like kind of in like i'm i'm on board i'm down for this and i have a feeling that like you know, the group is going to be like, eh, you know, I don't really care. It's like, fuck, damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I want to use these rules so bad. Um, um, not that rules that exist, but. Right. But, you, you, like, be, before we put the time into kind of, like, fleshing out these rules, you want to, you, you want to make sure that the people actually want to play them, right? Yeah, like, no, I feel that. I mean, it's also, you know, like, honestly, it, like, I kind of hate saying this, but it's also kind of, like, not the end of the day if, uh. You know, uh, it's something that people don't necessarily, like, engage with, like, a million percent, right? Right. It's a little bit like, you know, uh, when combat happens, Beauregard doesn't have as much to do as Rakox, right? But when RP happens, um, you know, Rakox doesn't have as much to do with Beauregard. Well, when, you know, mass combat happens, right, if, you know, Jimmy tunes out. Uh, it's not it's maybe not the end of the world if I'm servicing the group as a whole kind of thing. Yeah, um, I do think you like. I do think you though like it can't be just like Rakox and Beauregard buy into mass combat and everybody else kind of fucks off. <laughs> that is the danger. I I feel like uh, I feel like at least you and Mark are going to be on board. So you know we're probably two out of six. The rest of them are. Uh, yeah, uh, I I think I so I think part of this is going to be, um, how easy it is like. I think we want like I think idea like the ideal is is you can pick up these rules and learn them in like fifteen ish minutes, um, yeah, and then you can kind of leap straight into like an example and do that, and that's kind of like the first half hour of a three hour session. And if you can hit kind of that ideal, um, then you then you've kind of hit this night a, a good balance of like what's too complicated and what's not. And I think you can even do it in stages, right? Like I think like. Three on three, like I think you, we could we could even scale this up based on interest, right? We have you know three units of brawlers fighting three units of the Chalice Citizen Group, and that's kind of like your your basic combat, and that's very simple and that's very easy to teach. And then like you know the next encounter, you add in a special thing, um, and you kind of move out from there. And I think that you can kind of like you can like you can kind of build to that the kind of crescendo that you, that you want to and and keep everybody invested um if that makes sense yeah I, I fear i guess that um in that scenario uh because you're starting with you know like it's it's 
not as interesting if oh, you just yeah, have three units of brawlers goes first. You know, and people kind of want to level up to the point of like, oh man, you know, you, like rear charging a group of brawlers with cavalry. That's cool, right? Um, this is actually the classic Pathfinder problem. Like, it's not. I think Pathfinder does it better than three five and like four. He does it better than 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 Pathfinder, but like you know, level one kind of sucks in yeah, in, exactly. in, in all yeah. regards. So um, figuring out figuring out a way to kind of bridge that gap, I think, is uh, is kind of right on the money. Yeah, but that's <sighs> I think an exercise for later. May, yeah, we'll probably, would, we'll probably have to set this up, try it out, and then uh, do like a a a, 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 a post mortem on it at some point. I, I you know I think I'll uh, I I think we're in a good spot. I I'll figure out you know. I'll figure out a system. We can post rules. We can come back and talk about this with, like, actual rules and yeah. stats, kind of like we did uh, the Warlord, though hopefully not out over the course of, like, three... Uh, <laughs> three... Uh, the three casts. Episodes, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess we're uh, good to go. I think we're good for this session of uh, some derps talk about games. Um, if you would like to write us and tell us what you think of our of our ideas and what you think would make the platonic ideal of a mass combat system. You can email us at some derps play games at gmail.com. You can, uh, follow our Facebook fan page. You can follow us on YouTube and Twitch. Um, and you can comment on our SoundCloud and you can follow buddy and me on Twitter. Um, all of it will be in the description. Um, do all the nice things that you want to do. Talk to us. We love you guys. We would like to feel loved as well. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to mention, buddy? Nope, I have nothing else. I was looking to pimp. Um, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. Farewell. <laughs>